My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. I'm building make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and explain what the heck is happening. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. If we're in a bull market, and I think we are, you have to prepare yourself. Not for days like today where the Dow gained 369 points, S&P jumped 1.46%, and the Nasdaq pulled out of 1.67%. House of pleasure. But for days like yesterday. House of pain. When the averages look like they're rolling over, the bears are screaming about the sky falling, and everybody's bracing themselves for a real roundhouse. We have to prepare for the down days now because in a bull market, they're buying opportunities. They're how you get a better price on the merch or merchandise, as they say on the trading desk. The problem is, it's hard to think that way when the market looks ugly. We're used to buying the dips and so-called selling the rips, and those days may very well be over, replaced by actual investing. We were in a bear market for roughly a year, and before that, we had a market that was somewhat pernicious, too. It was dominated by a handful of mega-cap tech names, and that was for ages. Narrow, unwieldy, and in many ways dangerous for most of the S&P 500. The mega caps carried everything on their back like giant steam trunks filled with stocks. So I think many of us have forgotten what a real bull market looks like, or they never seen it at all. You know what it looks like? It looks like today. When we see the signs of a real bull, you need to change your approach to down days like yesterday. In a bull market, they're just like the days when Jimmy Chill is in his garden deadheading clipping the dying branches of stems, making sure there's sustenance for the real plants. Yep, yesterday was a pruning day, which meant it was the perfect time to buy the high-quality stocks that were put on sale by Wall Street's hedge trimmers. And why not? They'll grow faster, stronger, and better, just like my plants. I hope. What makes me so hopeful about this market? Well, first, there has to be a reason to be positive. Can't just be made up. Can't be chimerical. We're not talking about alchemy here. This time, we don't only have to, not one reason. We got two reasons, and they're dating back to October, so there's season of last year. First was the unexpected decline in the dollar, and then the equally unexpected decline in long-term interest rates. We keep finding out that these two trends have much more staying power than we ever thought. No matter what the Fed does or doesn't do or says or doesn't tomorrow even, I think that the, it will not impact long rates, just short rates. Long rates remain extremely low, which is important. Remember, that's also good compared to stocks and dividends. More on that later. As for the dollar, well, you get a strong currency if your economy's strong, and it's relatively strong versus others. Well, guess what? When you see the Eurozone having better growth than we do, as we saw this very morning, you know there's still plenty of room for the greenback to go lower. Right now, the fourth quarter earnings we're seeing are so distorted by the previously strong dollar that you think our international companies must be losing tons of business to their foreign competitors. That's what a strong currency will do to you. It gives a British outfit like Unilever a huge advantage over, say, Procter & Gamble, which, by the way, we like for the Child Trust. But the dollar hasn't been insanely strong since October. It's now way down, which is a huge positive for American businesses that operate overseas, and I'm making the claim that it's not done going yet. Meanwhile, we've recognized these two powerful trends for months, but during this time, You've been hurt severely if you listen to the bears. 
who constantly grab the mic and warn that it's dangerous to buy stocks because the Fed wants a recession. And they'll tell you they, that they tell they told you so on a day like yesterday. I got my boys like, oh, look at this. They told me so. Oh, wow. Scary. The rally since October has been all about the soft landing scenario playing out. It just gets broader and broader, where the Fed can beat inflation without destroying the economy, even as the myriad critics come on air and tell you the world's ending. These guys come on air and tell you that the economy's too hot and we're permanently stuck with high inflation. Or they say the Fed's going to napalm the entire economy, maintain price stability. They have been and probably will be just distractions at this point. They take your eye off the ball. Which leads me to my second observation of this market. A real bull produces a crazy pastiche, if not an amalgam, of stocks going higher. Not just the same old, same old, okay? What do I mean? Okay, housing stocks are the most sensitive to rate hikes of all sectors. They should be being clobbered, clobbered daily, taking endless amounts of pain. But today, Pulte, giant home builder, reported this maker of mid-six-figure houses, uh, houses delivered a perfect quarter allowing stock to soar 9%. 9% in the midst of a brutal rate hike? I mean, that's insane! Just as in a bear market when stocks do strange things like go down in blue quarters, bull markets accept anomalies and exploit them. Think about it. The Fed's raising rates to cool down the economy, in part because it's worried about the sky-high price of housing. So personally, I'm praying J-PAL didn't listen to the Pulte conference call. CEO Ryan Marshall kicked it off by saying, and I quote, We ended 2022 on a high note as we closed almost 8,900 homes and delivered all-time fourth-quarter records, end quote. Well, that's not what the Fed wants to hear. Now, uh, Pulte did see net new orders down 27% year-over-year. Marshall noted, quote, The softer demand is a result of consumers priced out of the market by higher prices and higher mortgage rates, along with those individuals who have moved to the sidelines given market uncertainties and risks. That's one for the Fed. And it's war against inflation. Oh, no. But go one page into Pulte's slide deck, and you will see how confusingly bullish this moment is, because the company actually raised housing prices by 17%, all the way to 571000 on average. Are these numbers a sign of America's great wealth, or are they telling us that when long rates leveled off at the end of last year, buyers started coming back to the housing market? Now, in a bear market, we'd be dissecting these numbers and saying they're frauds or they're crazy. Who knows? But uh, the negative interpretations, they don't, they don't cut it now. In a bull market, you know what you do? Well, you do nothing. You know, the one thing you certainly don't do is look through it. I'll tell you what you do. You buy. Remember, in bull markets, all sorts of stocks lead us higher, including ones that sometimes erupt higher for actually no discernible reason whatsoever. I mean, why the heck did the retailers start running today? I got no idea. That's, that's bull market behavior. Why, why, why is Target up? I don't know. That's bull market behavior. Then there are the autos, okay, which should also be crushed and just mutilated, spindled here. One week after Tesla cuts prices to smash its competitors, GM comes out swinging with amazing numbers. Fantastic forecast. Plenty of demand for its electric vehicles. Later tonight, CEO Mary Barra will explain how it all came together. I mean, but the fact is, it's not supposed to come together at this point in the tightening cycle. It's supposed to be upside down. Can we flip this? Can we flip this and show people what it's been like? The pain, the misery. The managed care stocks exploded higher, too. Look at United Health. The semis reignited after a tepid day yesterday. Who doesn't want to see a boring company put up great numbers like A.O. Smith, a solid maker of boilers? 
here comes carrier, here comes train. That's what happens, okay, at this stage. That's what you want to be looking for. Let me give you another telltale sign of the bull market. Reversals, intraday reversals. Get ready for them. Look at what happened to NXP Semi, the market. That, you know, that's the automaker. Uh, that They make chips for autos and, and the Internet of Things, IoT. Last night, NXP reported and some ill-advised traders dumped the stock when management said things are weak. They, and that sent the stock down seven bucks in after hours. There was no conference call until today. But when NXP finally spoke, it sounded pretty soothing, and the stock actually rallied back from minus seven to finish up nearly five bucks. Twelve-point swing! Just tonight, AMD, the new semi-kingpin, missed on gross margins, barely beat, very beaten down earnings estimates have been slash, slash, slash. What happens? The bear market loses 10%. And this market adds to its gains. This is the kind of bull market behavior you have to get used to. UPS reports this morning at 6 a.m. Computer-generated stories tell you how horrible it is. Big miss. Wowza. Stock looks down four. Plug ugly. End of the day, stock's up eight, finishes 12-point swing. Not bad. Bear market goes the opposite way. Stocks open up, then get clobbered, feel humiliated. Good earnings mean nothing except price target cuts. Hedge funds come in on down days and tell you, here it comes, the big one, the mother of all bears. And all that happens is that they get that one day. So bottom line, let's understand that these days, like a Caterpillar reports a solid number, and the stock sells off even if it doesn't reverse today. Well, then there's always tomorrow. So don't think of betting against it. Not with billions in infrastructure sales coming their way. A sale down nine used to be a correct one when we were in bear town. Not anymore. Hey, I, let's go to Amher in New York. Amher! Hey, Jimmy Chill. This is Amir from New York. Hi, uh, the Chill Man. And what do you have to say? Yep. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Chill, um, I watch your show uh, with my baby son. He loves your show along with me. We both enjoy it. And I would like to uh, get him the sound machine that you have. It would be great if you can add it on the CNBC merchandise store sometime uh, for sale. I like that. I like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> awesome. Uh, so uh, I would like to know from you if I should buy, hold, or sell this stock. My investment horizon is five to ten years. It's a digital healthcare company. Um, it's came down a lot in the last one year or so. I know you've spoken about it in the past, but I'm wondering what do you think about it uh, from a long-term future perspective. They have um, a wide mode because right. they have, uh, they're integrated with a lot of healthcare insurance companies. Okay. Okay. They have a lot of doctors on the platform. And the stock is? Then stock? Teladoc, something you t- tweeted about last oh, night. Oh, Teladoc. Okay, so like Kathy Wood loves it, so that right now in this market, that means it goes higher. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what the what, how the company's doing. She likes it. People will see it. They'll cover their shorts. They'll get worried. It'll go higher. Let's talk about it after it goes higher. Thank you for the kind words. All right, I think many of us have forgotten what a real bull market looks like, or they've never seen one. You know what it looks like? Today. Man, money tonight. GM shot the lights out in the quarter for, and got this new lithium investment to record EV sales. Uh, to record EV sales, I gotta tell you, it, it, you have to watch my interview with Mary Barra. Brilliant, she's brilliant. Hey, then we love dividend aristocrats and made money. So tonight I'm revealing three more, and I'm sharing where I come down on them. And with Pfizer selling its COVID-19 treatment in Paxlovid in China, how could it impact the company's bottom line? Millions of doses. I'm going through the headlines for the company's top press. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. 
the award for the best earnings report of the day, and arguably the best of earnings season, goes to none other than General Motors. This morning, GM turned in a stunner of a quarter. It was a 41 cent earnings beat off a buck 71 basis. 41 of a buck 71, with sales up 28% year over year, coming in almost $3 billion higher than anticipated. Even better, GM gave us a tremendous full year forecast. They also announced an investment in a lithium company that will secure their electric vehicle supply chain. Remember, they've got a big slate of electrics now, including that Hummer that can crab walk that my wife drove. In response, the stock jumped more than 8% today. But even after this move, it sells for less than seven times earnings back to like where it was only in December, based on the midpoint of management's full-year forecast. Do not take this one from me. Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with the excellent Mary Barr, the chair and CEO of General Motors. Take a look at this one. Ms. Barr, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Okay, so Mary, so many things went just so well for you this quarter. Congratulations. You've got tremendous demand. You gave us fantastic forecast, amazing pickup in market share in America, seem to have solved a battery problem for lithium that nobody else has with a brilliant investment. And the moonshot has come to reality with autonomous vehicles. So I'm going to give you the floor because there's so many good things. I need you to actually prioritize the greatness because it's really just remarkable. Well, Jim, I like I like everything that you covered because I'm so proud of the team. You know, our employees, our suppliers, our dealers, all of our partners. You know, we really came together. And, you know, last year there was a lot of challenges. And through that, we made a lot of progress in each of the areas. You know, from an EV perspective, this is Altium's breakout year. When we look at the fact that by the end of the year, we're going to have nine EV products in the market, the bulk of them off of the Altium platform. The battery plant in Ohio is ramping up uh, now really well. And uh, our second plan in Spring Hill, Tennessee, is also that's right on schedule. That's going to enable us to, to really put out a lot of great EVs that are really in demand. So I couldn't be more excited about our EV opportunities for this year. And, you know, we also have some strong ICE launches as well with uh, the heavy-duty pickups, the, uh, the uh, Chevrolet Silverado heavy-duty, as well as the GMC Sierra heavy-duty. And then the, the midsize trucks, the Chevy uh, and the GMC, the Colorado and the Canyon. So, again, we've got a really strong uh, portfolio of both ICE and EV. Uh, and, and then you mentioned Cruise. Um, they did what they said they were going to do. And, you know, we demonstrated that the technology can rapidly uh, be transferred to another municipality and be ready to go. Because in San Francisco, they worked so hard over the last few years to solve the hardest problems. So, uh, again, I'm excited for 23. I know there's challenges and we don't exactly know what the macro is going to be. But I think we're well positioned. And, you know, just to make sure we're going to be uh, able to deliver on everything, we put in a $2 billion cost uh, program to take structural cost out. And that's net, by the way, um, between this year and next. So uh, this is a, a year that I think we can really demonstrate what GM can deliver from a profitable growth perspective. Okay, those of us who are concerned about the ability to obtain lithium should feel much better after today with this current investment, correct? 
I, absolutely. And I am so proud of the team that's been working on this because we didn't go in and source it just as, as, an, as a normal uh, you know, part sourcing. We went in and said, how can we work together? How can we create new sources? How do we partner and leverage the bo- best of both our companies? And that's really what's coming together with our, our partnership with Lithium Americas. And uh, you know, this is going to be very significant. And what it's the third largest lithium supply in the globe, I think the largest in the United States. And uh, we think we've got a really great partner to work with. You're, there are many things that are going right, of which I like headwinds uh, to tailwinds. You mentioned that you'll benefit greatly from the IRA Act, but you also have commodities that are going away, and you talked about a logistics tailwinds. These all seem like they're very additive to earnings for 2023. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we see the strength, and and you know, a lot of there's a lot of I think unknown of what people think will happen in pricing. But we, you know, we do think that, you know, coming off record price or actually incentives, we think um, we're priced right. And customers are telling us we are with the, with the strength of the demand for the, the products that we have coming. So I feel good that we're in a position. Obviously, we'll monitor what happens through the year. So I think, uh, you know, when we look at what are, uh, people are thinking are some of the challenges for this year, I think we're well positioned. All right. You mentioned pricing right. There are many people who are concerned about uh, about Tesla's price cuts. What I glean from your conference call and your notes is that the Hummer, the Lyric, and the Silverado, which we're very grateful for that you showed our viewers, are there's so much demand that we should not be concerned about price cuts. Well, again, we think we priced right from the beginning. And by the way, that was before we knew um, for many of these products um, what the, you know, the benefits would be from an IRA. And I think we're well positioned with the IRA because we were already working to either onshore or ally shore. And, you know, not only do we feel <clears throat> we're going to have a more resilient supply chain, we're going to be able to get scale, but we're also creating jobs. So I, I think we're well positioned there. And I think uh, the strength of our products, they're, they're brand new. Um, I think is going to position us well for whatever happens in the pricing environment. Now, I know you've got this $2 billion, uh, $2 billion EBITDA improvement. I was looking at where your stock was, say, three years ago. It was at 33. It's barely moved on this. I'm trying to understand investors should. I'm not trying to say you tell me your stock is cheaper. That's not what I do. I'm saying that investors should recognize that you are a much leaner, more valuable company then the last time that we looked at the stock before this, this program of improvement occurred, and yet it's really what only got about a 15% uh, change in price. If I read this right, a company that's got that big improvement with market share in the U.S. going from 13 to 16%, leadership in AV, leadership in EV, I would argue this is a very different company than we were last at these levels. A far better, more lucrative company is what you're offering shareholders. Jim, I think you said it uh, exactly right. I mean, we have really worked to strengthen our business, to have a position. You know, we started investing in the Ultium platform, you know, now virtually four years ago. We have products coming off of it, and it's going to give us scale more quickly. Others are now just starting to work on dedicated platforms. Uh, We were were early um, from a, a, I'll say, a traditional OEM of putting battery plants in this country that's going to position us well with IRA. But we've made some tough choices, too. Again, remember, General Motors, we went straight to EV. We didn't, uh, you know, do the interim of hybrids. We said, let's get to the end game and get there quickly because we think we can do outstanding products. And, And 
And I think that's what we need to, as we execute this year and get these products out, I'm hoping uh, that's what, you know, everyone will see, that we have growth opportunity in our EV business, especially with, you know, brake drop, which is an area that's total growth for, for us from a commercial vehicle perspective. And then um, autonomous, uh, I, I can't uh, wait to see the progress that we're going to make this year, uh, which is peer growth. So I think people sometimes think of General Motors as this older company. We have tremendous growth opportunity, and we, we've been working for several years to build the foundation, and this is the year that I think we really break through. Well, let's talk about that. There's a noisy critic who says there really isn't that much hope for companies that are based on the internal combustion engine because their mission is muddled. Uh, do you feel that you can do both and still satisfy a public that clearly wants EV if possible? I definitely think we can. And, you know, we are the only uh, full-line manufacturer that has said we will be, all of our light-duty vehicles will be electric by 2035. So I think we're leading the way there. Uh, But, you know, when you look at General Motors' customer base, we sell more vehicles, um, you know, in the United States than anyone else. And we've got to make sure we have, we're able to take all of our customers along at the different segments and the different price points. And I think that's what we're doing. So we have really worked to have a very crisp, I'll say, ICE portfolio of vehicles. Uh, every new vehicle we put out, we're improving fuel economy and emissions um, on this journey. But, you know, we're, we're positioned to help um, broad, you know, mainstream America make the transition in this time between now and 2035. All right, so one last question. Uh, speaking of moonshot to reality and the great Kyle Vogt, who I'm so terrific that you include him in the conference call right after you, uh, volume products this year in Austin and Phoenix. I'm going to the Super Bowl in Phoenix. Will I be able to hail a ride that is an autonomous vehicle? You know, uh, I, I know that they're ramping up in uh, there, so I, I think you may have to wait, but I don't know. We should work on it and see if we can make that happen because the team is, is you know, there. They demonstrated, and now we're going to keep ramping. So Will you meet I'll, me? We'll, I'll Will talk you to meet Kyle, me and we'll see if we can make that happen. At the Phoenician, and we'll hail, uh, we'll hail an autonomous car to the stadium. Come on, take up this challenge. I think we you know we have to be mindful of what the traffic will be and uh, you know where we're at in scaling across the from a 24/7 perspective and uh, from a city perspective. But I, I take your challenge and I'll talk to Kyle. We'll see what we can do. Excellent, prudent answer. Congratulations on an amazing quarter, Mary. Amazing, and the stock does not reflect the greatness of your doing. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your support. Thanks, Jim. Of course. That's Mary Barr, CEO of GM, with a remarkable quarter and a great forecast. Mad Money's back into the break. Coming up, three stocks have made it into an exclusive club. Find out who the new aristocrats are on Wall Street next. We do not have a real aristocracy in America. But we do have aristocrats in the stock market, the dividend aristocrats. I spent all last year pounding the table in this group. Dividend aristocrat is the stock in the S&P 500 that's raised its payout for at least 25 straight years. They represent companies that can keep generating consistent earnings in good times and bad, which I think makes them terrific slowdown plays. 
In our first show of 2022, I recommended a huge list of 36 dividend and risk rates. Get this. On average, they gave you a total return of 3.3%. And, you know, geez, that trounced the border S&P, which had a total negative return, negative 18%. Wow. I bring this up because this week the ranks of the dividend average stocks are about to expand, with three new names joining the list, bringing the total to 67. So tonight I want to go over the three new members because as much as I like these dividend stocks, you still need to do some homework to figure out they're worth owning. Our three new dividend overlords are Nordson, C.H. Robinson Worldwide, and J.M. Smucker. Give me a hand. Come on. Let's take them one by one. Norton's a sleepy industrial that makes specialty equipment for handling sealants, adhesives, coatings, biomaterials, and other sticky substances for a host of different end marks. A lot of people feel it's a great barometer of industry. This one is interesting because Norton's actually raised its dividend for 42 years straight. It would have been a dividend aristocrat a long time ago, except it only got admitted to the S&P 500 last year. But I got to tell you, I'm not in love with this one at all. While the company reported a strong quarter in mid-December, 18% organic growth, 30% earnings growth, their earnings guidance for the quarter was tepid, and the full-year earnings forecast came in weaker than expected. Since then, the stock's been range-bound, mostly stuck between 230 and 240, and the analysts who followed have slashed their earnings estimates to the point where it's now trading at more than 25 times this year's numbers. That's not exactly cheap for a company that's not expected to have much in the way of earnings growth this year. Plus... Nordson lacks one of our favorite things about the dividend aristocrats because it only has a puny 1.1 yield here. In my view, if you want an industrial, there are much better stories than this one. Think about all the companies that are about to get massive federal handouts from the infrastructure bill, like Caterpillar, which we own for the Chapel Trust, or Nucor, which we sold and wish we hadn't. The next two newly crowned dividend aristocrats got there the traditional way. They earned it. No, they're longtime S&P 500 components that have now racked up 25 years of consecutive dividend hikes. Remember, that's the criteria, and it's fantastic. C.H. Robinson Worldwide is a freight broker. They're a huge shipping company with $28 billion in freight under management. They handle more than 20 million shipments per year. That's huge. While most trucking stocks peaked last spring, along with freight, the freight market, C.H. Robinson held on longer than most. It actually hit a new all-time high last August before everything rolled over. I'm feeling more sanguine on the trucking space in general. You know that. We just got some encouraging comments from J.B. Hunt. That's the industry leader, which suggested business could bottom in the next quarter or two. UPS did well today, too. However, I am not ready, not to get more positive on C.H. Robinson in particular, because there's just too much upheaval at this dividend aristocrat. Less than a month ago, they fired CEO Bob Biesterfeld for reasons that still aren't quite clear. In the SEC filing that we checked, they only said it was an involuntary termination without cause. Curious. But the context here is that C.H. Robinson's been under pressure from a small activist firm called Ancona Advisors, which won some beats, uh, board seats earlier last year. Presumably those activists wanted to take some heads. The chairman of the board has taken over as interim CEO, and now they're looking for a successor who wants this kind of management turmoil, not me. Five different analysts have downgraded the stock since the CEO got ousted, including one guy at Bank of America who downgraded it a second time a couple weeks later. They all suspect that the old CEO never would have been fired if C.H. Robinson were about to put up good numbers. Seems like a reasonable conclusion. That's why I'm staying on the sidelines with this one, at least for now. Sage Robinson reports tomorrow, so we're still going to get some clarity of the numbers. But even if the quarter isn't too bad, we still need to know who will be running the company, what their strategy might be. Too much to ask? 
I don't think so. In the end, if you want a trucking play, I'd rather go with an actual trucking company than a freight brokerage like this one. The freight brokerage business is now being assaulted by disruptive digital players like Uber Freight. I've always been impressed by those guys. While C.H. Robinson stock isn't too expensive at 19 times earnings, and the 2.4% yield is okay, there are much better stories out there where you have a lot more clarity about where the company is headed. So why take the risk with something like this? Ah, just so you don't think I've left you with nothing. Finally, there's one new dividend aristocrat that I unreservedly like, and that's J.M. Smucker the iconic packaged food company behind Smucker's Uncrustable Sandwiches, Jif Peanut Butter, Folger's Coffee, one of my personal favorites, and, of course, the pet food business, which includes Milk Bone and Meow Mix. Cat food, coffee, two great tastes. Taste rather. Maybe not, but that's okay. We just spoke with CEO Mark Smucker last month when he explained the hard work that he and his team have done to reshape the portfolio in recent years, disposing brands that weren't working while doubling down on the ones with best growth. That's what we want to see exactly. That's given Smucker tremendous pricing power. No wonder they could beat the numbers so handily when they last reported in November. I like this story. This is just a good, solid business that deserves to be considered in the top tier of packaged food companies with the likes of General Mills and Campbell's Soup. I don't think it gets the respect that it deserves. Now, Smoker sold off since the beginning of the year. Thanks to that rotation out of defensive recession-proof stocks because people get a little more excited about the economy. Stocks pulled back from the 160 and changed to the low 150s. At these levels, Smoker sells for less than 18 times earnings, 2.7% yield. Versus its competitors, I think it's a great buy, especially if you're still worried about the broader economy, as I am. Remember, if Fed Chief Jay Powell says anything that spooks the market tomorrow, you're going to wish you had smucker, because all the money that fled from the food stocks can come right back in, and it's going to go to this one. Bottom line, even though this market's had a real good run, and I think the bear is more or less dead outside of tech, I still think you need some downside protection, because this is a tricky moment. The economy's definitely going to get worse before it gets better. Everybody's saying it, and it's true which is when you need the dividend aristocrats the most. But of these new aristocrats that just got in the Hall of Fame here, they get sworn in, C.H. Robinson, too iffy. Yours is too expensive. Only J.M. Smucker is worth buying right now, right here. And money's back after the break. Coming up, after a record-breaking 2022, Pfizer appears headed back to Earth. What's this gruesome guidance mean for your money? Kramer's got the CEO next. Query, what do we do with the COVID winners in big pharma now that the pandemic increasingly feels like it's in the rearview mirror, at least outside of China? That's the big question when it comes to Pfizer, which was printing money not too long ago, thanks to the mRNA vaccine they cooked up with BioNTech. Pfizer made billions off this thing, allowing them to fund major acquisitions in order to pad out their new drug pipeline and offset the damage from future patent expirations. But over the past year or so, Wall Street's fallen out of love with Pfizer because the COVID revenue stream is naturally drying up. That's why the stock's down nearly, this is astonishing, 30% from its highs in December of 2021. Today we saw the end result. Pfizer reported a technically mixed quarter that was basically fine. Then issued a far worse than expected forecast for the full year. But you know what happened? After initially dipping 2%, the stock reversed and only finished up more than 1% because the negativity was already baked in, as I talked to you about in the top of the show. Does that mean it's finally safe to circle back to this one? Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Dr. Albert Borla. He's the chair and CEO of Pfizer. Take a look. Dr. Borla, welcome back to Man Buddy. Hello, hello, Jim. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, Thank so you for Albert. having me. 
let me ask them. I mean, you just did $100 billion. It is a remarkable feat. First time for the great company as Pfizer. Any reflections on why the market is not rewarding you for what you just accomplished? Or is it all just the market being skeptical about the future? I think always the market takes what you give them and they are looking into the future. But uh, I totally think that despite the fact that 22 was a super year by all means, not only revenues, but number of patients reached, the reputation of Pfizer, you name it. I think the best days of Pfizer are still ahead of us. We are about to launch in the next 18 months, 19 products. I repeat, Jim, 19 products, new products predominantly, and some new indications in 18 months. Never again a company has done something like that. And we are up to the challenge. And we believe that the period between 25 and 30, where most of uh, the skeptics were, if we can have grow, we are not only planning to manage the LOEs, the product offering pattern, but we are aiming to have leading industry growth, at least 6%, and we are aspiring for 10 all right, so let's just deal with the near term. Uh, there are concerns that were articulated that your uh, your Paxlovid, uh, your really just your forecast for this year was what some analysts call extremely disappointing. I think there's some people who felt that perhaps China was going to be bigger or Europe's going to be bigger. Could you fill us in on what's really happening, say, in China? Because obviously, a country that has that has is raging with COVID would want as much Paxlovid as possible. Correct. And uh, China is uh, getting Paxlovid right now. Uh, we have cheap, just to give you a magnitude of the size, in 2022, just a few thousands of doses. Starting uh, this year, this financial year, we already started a few millions and we plan to continue doing that, at least until the end of March. Uh, this is what we have in our guidance, only sales in China until end of March. Uh, beginning of April 1st, they will start having a reimbursed list that we are not part of it. So we are aiming, if we are not eventually become part of reimbursement, to go into the private market in China only, which is a cyber market, of course, in China. But because of the uncertainty, we haven't predicted yet. At the same time, while the pandemic is going to be officially declared over in May, when I read through your documents, I think you feel that we're not going to be able to say goodbye to this anytime soon. Oh, I don't think anyone thinks that we are going to say goodbye, or very few thinks that they are going to say goodbye to that. I think the virus will continue existing with us for the years to come. However, we are not going to be in a in a in an emergency state because right now we have the tools to be able to control it with the vaccines and Paxlovid. No one should die from COVID going forward, and I think that should be the goal. All right. So let's talk about some of these new drugs. At first, I mean, there's some drugs that you purchased. You know, I think that you bought a gem uh, when you bought Nurtech through Biohaven. And you know, because I represent the American Migraine Foundation, that there are a billion people. People don't realize how prevalent it is. It's often misdiagnosed uh, in the hands of the previous owner, good guys. They didn't have the money to, to make it understood and known. Doctor, when I go to different clinics, and I always do, I ask them, do they know Nurtech? You have a huge education process ahead of you, but when it's successful, it could be one of the biggest drugs of all time. Could you give us your perspective on Nurtech? I fully agree. I fully agree because this is a poorly served patient population, this one billion of people. And Nurtech is a really fantastic medicine. 
Actually, BioHeaven did a fantastic job. Last year, the product grew 55%. And when I see the last quarter, they drew double than the market. Now it is our turn. Not only we maintain everything BioHeaven is doing, we maintain intact their field force, but we are adding all the power of our resources behind this product. Now we are visiting not only neurologists, but primary care physicians. We are living uh, women health physicians. And this is, I think, what could make the big difference, going to the primary care physician and the physicians that are seeing way more people. We see a big difference, Jim. Right now, in the first four weeks, we see that physicians that they are visited, they are prescribing 50% more than those that they haven't visited. And uh, we plan to visit all or most of the physicians during 2023. Well, that would be fabulous because I still feel people don't realize it's a chewable little thing that you take and five minutes later your migraine goes away. People do not understand that. Let's talk about some of these very exciting things like RSV adult vaccine. A member of my family just got RSV. We had no idea that this could even be a hope sometime. Terrible disease. I'm sorry to hear about the member of your family and it is terrible disease, but very good news. We are coming with two vaccines for RSV. The first one is for adults, like I guess members of your family, mm-hmm. but uh, they had the unfortunate uh, meeting with the virus. Uh, but also we are coming with a prenatal vaccine. Look at that. We vaccinate the mother and the mother through the pregnant mother and the mother through the blood, transfer the immune protection to the baby exactly the moment that the baby needs it, when it's born. And that is maintained quite good levels up to six months. So we are very, very happy that we can make a very big difference in uh, the lives of babies and adults with RSV. Well, when I listen to these and I look at, uh, there's a great slide for people who want to know more about Pfizer, page 37, talks about the potential product launches, 25 billion potential revenue. I think to myself, wow, uh, take advantage of it, buy as much stock as you can. You bought 400 million shares back since 2016. But actually in the conference call, uh, in one of the conference calls, you said point blank, that's not a great use. We have a lot of R&D ahead, and we've got a lot to get the message out about our drugs. Is that standard reason if the stock stays at this level for a long time? No, I think the stock went up and then there was some volatility. And it is mainly related with COVID, frankly, because people want to get certainty about COVID. And I think this is what we offer today, uh, a good base for people to make their own calculations about what the COVID business would look like. But uh, our capital right now, we never say never, but we think we have so much opportunity to invest capital that uh, buying back shares is not a priority. I don't say that we will not buy shares, but it is not a priority. Look, for example, we set a goal to buy 25 billions of risk-adjusted revenues of year 2030. That will resolve once and for all the growth trajectory of the second part of the decade. We are already 40% there. Actually, we are 10.5 billions of that. And you know what is the most interesting? The market, the consensus, the analysts, just a few months ago were at seven. Now they are at 9.5, which means that they close the gap. They are very close to our 10.5 billion. So these are real products that they are launching now and they will offer real revenue suffice. Now you've made some great acquisitions. I like the arena acquisition. We mentioned that obviously the Biohaven. There must be with this market, there's such a bear market in some of these technolo- biotech companies. Don't you think there's something in there that is uh, that could be huge if Pfizer's great laboratories and salespeople got behind them? I'm sure there is a lot of this type of gems. Look at the difference that we were able to do in our partnerships with BioNTech. Right. Right. How much better we did together than one. I think 
this is how things will move. This is how science moving. We need to have collaborations between academia, biotech, and big pharma, and we add value to that. I'm sure that we will find a lot of gems in the next two, three years. Well, that's years. what matters. Look, I think the stock is, you know, frankly, ridiculously cheap. I think you're doing an amazing job. And I think that because you're a cautious person, not willing to say uh, that to overpromise about Paxlovid, uh, the stock is giving you a great chance to get in. So I want to thank uh, Dr. Albert Borla, Chairman, CEO of Pfizer. It's great to see you again, sir. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. People, if you want safety, you want yield, and you want growth, Pfizer. They have money's back in. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the lightning round, Christian Mighty Start with. Connor in Alabama. Connor. Jim, how you doing? Big fan. Oh, man. Roll Tide. What's up? I appreciate that. Roll Tide. I'm a student there myself. I'll keep my question really short, Fantastic. really simple. XM, how do you like it as a long-term growth play? I mean, I really like XM as a long-term growth, but remember last week we had SAP on. They have majority share. They're going to be able to sell their stock. When they do, you want to be able to buy the stock. Get the overhead done and let these guys do their work, and then it's a buy. Let's go to Justin. Let's go to Justin in Colorado. Justin. Hey Jim, thanks for taking my call. This company was recommended by you a couple months ago. This is a profitable tech infrastructure company. They have came down in price during this recent rally. Their earnings report is February second. Is CLFD still a buy? Yeah, what the heck? I mean, like, you know, there's an analyst that cut numbers and the stock fell apart. And I thought that was like ridiculous. I look, we'll see what they have to say on, uh, on February second. But that, that was crazy. How about Tim in Illinois? Tim. Yes, ERST CRISPR Therapeutics. Oh, CRISPR Therapeutics. Well, I got to tell you something. Here's my feeling on that. That's just one of those crazy science stocks that in this market will work perfectly. And that, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is the consumer no longer a glutton for punishment? Signs of a food fight in the making. Will Whole Foods be the first cookie to crumble? More next. It's finally happening. The American public's pushing back against higher food prices. At long last, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. Today, we learned that Whole Foods is asking its suppliers to take a hit to their bottom line because Whole Foods is taking a hit from this consumer rebellion. The Wall Street Journal, which broke the story, quoted a research firm called Placer AI, they say Whole Foods saw foot traffic decline by 8% year over year in the fourth quarter. That's a hideous decline, especially for a supermarket. While Whole Foods disputes the number, it certainly makes sense when you look at how the discounters are doing much better, presumably at the expense of more expensive outfits. In this environment, people would finally rather trade down than pay up, and that hadn't been the case. Of course, I don't know if the Fed's paying close attention to individual store chains, especially with Whole Foods, which is buried within Amazon. But I do know I've been waiting for this consumer revolt to occur. I've been waiting for shoppers to go on strike against expensive name brands, name brands switching to the no-name generics that are often just as good. Think those bottles filled with pink liquid that are definitely not Pepto-Bismol, even as they look, taste, and function exactly the same. That's how you get prices down 
actual competition. Now, we know we've seen a deceleration in food inflation. It's not as bad as it used to be. That's not good enough. The Fed doesn't just point at deceleration. That's silly. I think once actual price declines, that's what we should get. We deserve that. Rather than slowing food inflation, they may actually want to roll it back to where it was before the pandemic. And why not? Nothing's really changed. In fact, in many cases, like plastic or a line of board, the underlying raw costs are maybe cheaper than they were in 2020. The packaged food companies can no longer justify price hikes, and I think this trade-down effect will push them toward price cuts. When it starts hurting the bottom line of the big supermarket chains, do you know what they do? They'll do their best to bring down wholesale prices. Why? Because the supermarkets can just pull your product if you don't play ball with them and give more shelf space to your more cooperative competitors. They want foot traffic, these stores. They don't want to just make up for you. Whole Foods, backed by Amazon. Albertsons, Kroger, they're all giant chains with real market power. They have the ability to bully the suppliers. It's a huge threat to the industry. The two that have the most power to change things are Walmart, the largest grocer in the country, and Costco, the ultimate cost containment play. Did you know that Costco actually keeps track of the raw costs their suppliers pay? And whenever those costs go down, they ask for lower prices? Why does this matter? Because at the end of the day, the Federal Reserve is on a mission to smash inflation. And what really bothers them is food inflation, housing inflation, and wage inflation. Unfortunately, food inflation has been very sticky. And other than the price of gas, this is the most visible component. I've always assumed the Fed won't stop raising interest rates until consumers start trading down the cheaper food. Now that's finally starting to happen. Of course, this one story. Just one. The Whole Foods cuts. They won't do it. The actual price rollbacks, they haven't been done yet. But the fact that the consumer may be backing away from higher-priced foods and, and also higher-priced sundries can trigger that process, and the Fed should take notice immediately and say tomorrow that while their work's not done, at least some good things are starting to percolate. I'd like to say it's always been always a bull market summer, and I promise to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow.